0: So uh, we are continuing with uh, 1 John. I want to encourage you to find a Bible or uh, open up a Bible on your phone and head to 1 John uh, chapter 2. We're in 1 John chapter 2 uh, from verse 18. That's where we're going to be starting off uh, looking at those verses this morning. But before we turn to those voices and turn to those verses, um, I wonder if you've ever been uh, scammed. If you've ever uh, fallen foul um, to one of these you know, one of these scams, one of these emails, whatever. I remember a few years ago, the emails and the the attempts at scamming used to be quite lame. I mean, you could easily see it. It was, like, very noticeable that, that this is nonsense kind of thing. But they've got a lot better. Um, you know, I, I got one a couple of weeks ago. It looks, like, properly legit from my bank, you know, letting me know a whole bunch of things. And just last week, I think I won, I think it was the Norwegian Lottery. Uh, and you know, just just my luck happened. I, I didn't enter, but I ha- I happened to win. And all I needed to do was give them my bank details and just pay pay a small fee so they could send me my winnings. And it was almost you know, it was just I was very excited initially. But um, you know, the, the the thing with these scams is that in order for them to be convincing, they need to look true. But what exposes them is when you dig a bit deeper, you realize okay, this is this is the problem. Like. This is this email address or this link, or whatever. This is it's not legit. I didn't actually enter the Norwegian lottery, so I couldn't possibly have won. And you know, just a bit more examining, and the truth gets flushed out. And and what us, what we're going to be looking at in 1 John uh, chapter two today is 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 getting clear on things that are true, and how we can prevent ourselves from being deceived, led astray, wandering, off. we want to stay faithful, we want to stay uh, in the truth, we want to remain in the truth, we want to uh, not be deceived uh, in any way. So let's read these verses uh, from 1 John, uh, starting in verse uh, 18 of chapter 2. John says this, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that, this, that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, I'm from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has made, He Himself has made to us, eternal life. I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, His anointing teaches you about all things and is true, and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. That's as far as we're going to go. Let's pray before we look at these verses together. Father, we ask now that as we dive deeper into these verses, we pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us, just as we've been reading here, that the Holy Spirit would open up our eyes, open up our ears. Quicken our minds and our spirits to hear your voice, to see you clearly in the scriptures, that we would hear what you have to say to us, that our faith would be strengthened, our love for you would be, would be deepened, we would be more grounded and more sure, more steadfast in our relationship with you. We pray, come and speak to us now. Come and make clear what we need to see. We're so desperately in need of the help of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, come and teach us now for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just a bit of context here um, as we as we go here. I want, I want you to have a quick look at verse 26 because that's that's massively important. John says this to them in verse 26. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. I'm writing this. This is what John says. I'm writing this to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. This is the part of the problem and part of the reason why John writes this whole letter is that there were people who had got into the church, and they've been trying to deceive people with false teaching. John is writing this letter uh, quite a few generations after Jesus. He's an old man now. This is sort of nearing the end of the first century. Uh, There's been a few generations of Christians, churches established, and throughout these years, false teaching has, has popped up. There's false teachers, there's false doctrines floating around. And in the context that John's writing into here, there are some, he says it quite plainly there, there's some who've got in amongst them and they're trying to deceive them. They're trying to lead them away from the church and from the truth. And he's writing this book and these verses particularly to them about those who are trying uh, to deceive them. And let's have a look at what he says about those who are trying to deceive them. Let's just call them the deceivers. What what are the characteristics of them here? John says, well, the first thing he says is that they are antichrist. They are antichrist. They are against Christ. To be anti is to be against something. They are anti-Christ. They're anti-the anointed one, the the holy one, Jesus Christ. He he makes it clear uh, that the the antichrist is still coming. And I, and I don't want to go into a whole um, long teaching this morning on on the antichrist. Um I think you know I, I, you can seriously lose your way going on a discussion around the antichrist. And I think the Bible makes it clear that there is An antichrist who's coming. Revelation makes that clear. Uh, This antichrist will set himself up against God, will deceive many. There is an antichrist who is coming. But what John is talking about here is antichrists. Like many antichrists are amongst you. And I mean, it's not very PC the way he's talking here. I think these days, you know... We need to stick with the Bible, but I haven't heard anyone call anyone an antichrist lately. But to be against Jesus, to be against Jesus Christ and everything he stands for and who he is, John says, puts you in the camp of being an antichrist. He says, that's the first characteristic of these deceivers is that they are they are small antichrists. And what makes them antichrists is the second thing is that they're liars. Have a look in verse 22. Verse 22 says, who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is? is the Christ, the one who is the Antichrist, uh, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. They're liars. And what is the lie? The lie is that they deny that Jesus is the Christ. As John is like saying, this is all around who Jesus is, the fact that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one of God. They've got it wrong. And that's obviously at the heart of what they're teaching Mm -hmm. Their deception revolves around the person and the work of who Jesus Christ is. They deny Jesus is the Christ, but John says it's a package deal here. You deny Jesus as the Christ, you end up denying the Father as well. So it's not just Jesus. If you deny Jesus, you deny the Father as well because the Father is the one who sent the Son. Jesus says that if you deny me, if you see me, you've seen the Father. If you hear me, you hear the Father. So to reject Jesus is to reject the Father. You, know, you can't parse this stuff out and say like I, I like the Father, God kind of thing. Uh, Jesus, I'm not so keen on. Oh, I love Jesus, but I have like some issues with the the Father. Or you know the Holy Spirit, I'm juiced about the Holy Spirit, but I don't like this and that. Like it's a package deal. The Trinity, you you accept all of it or you reject all of it is what John is saying. And these guys are liars because they're going after person of who jesus christ is they're saying that jesus isn't the christ he's not the long-awaited messiah promised all the way through scriptures they're saying he's something else and they dec- they actually are trying to and probably were accomplishing deception with some of the people there and this is riling john and that's why he writes this letter so they're lies and then the last thing we see about these deceivers is that they've left the church verse 19 they went out from us uh, but they did not belong to us. If they'd belonged to us, they would, ne- they would have remained with us. But they went out to make it clear that none of them belongs to us. They've left the church. They're not in the church anymore. They are gone. And John says, the fact that they're not in, not here anymore shows that they never actually belonged to us. Now, we need to, we need to slow down and pause a little bit here. I think all of us know people who, who were at, uh, at this church or at a church that you've been a part of who are not at church anymore. Um, and I want us to be very careful here that just because somebody has left our church or left a church you were part of they 're not an antichrist okay they 're not necessarily a liar they haven 't necessarily denied Jesus Christ they may have and if they have what John is saying is that if they 've denied Jesus as the Christ and they 've left they may have been part of the church at one point, but the fact that they left showed that they were never actually part of it in the first place and I know this can be confusing i 've i 've had people leave. Um, the faith, leave Christianity, who spent years in church, and they looked for the that season like they were Christians, but they, they're, they're not anymore, and I, I think I've been a Christian long enough to know there's that one phrase that uh, a lot of people are like, not all who wander are are lost, and I agree with that, I agree with that. I think just because somebody may be wandering away from the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that they're lost they shouldn't have in that wandering season any confidence that they are saved, that they are born again, because they've walked away. God may graciously bring them back. But in that season, there's no confidence there that they do remain with God. Uh, and, and those who go may be evidencing that they were never actually part. And it's hard. You know, we see people walk away from God. We see people walk away from the church, and you wonder, are they born again? They look like they were Christians, and now they just seem to have turned their back on God. And John is saying they may never have actually been. Are born again, they may never have actually been Christians. They were part of the church, they were churched, but they've denied Jesus Christ and they've walked away. And I want to make it clear here that these guys have left the church. John says they've left the church because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not They haven't left the church over small things. They've left over the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not like they didn't like the drums or the music or the coffee or the preacher or like somebody was rude to them or something like that. They've left over... A big thing, not small things, and they've, they've parted ways with the church. And I think there's a couple of things in here. We, we need to be very large-hearted and gracious, and we can partner with anyone. We, can, we recognize we're in fellowship. We're together with all who declare Jesus as the Christ. Now, they may not be in our church. They may be in a different church. Their church may do things completely differently to the way our church do things, but we are we can be in fellowship together with them. We can call them brothers and sisters in Jesus because we're clear on Jesus as the Christ. And they've accepted Jesus. They've accepted the Father. They are in relationship and fellowship with him. We can be in fellowship together with them. It's not over the small things. And so we need to have bigger hearts to make, make our circle bigger, as it were. And we also need to make our circle smaller. Uh, where people have now denied Jesus as the Christ, like they've got massive, they, they, you know, everything is up for grabs around who Jesus is and his work and his teaching and his authority, that John would say, that's a fault line there, that's a fault line, we've now parted ways in fellowship, we can no longer be in fellowship, you've shown yourself to not be a true Christian when you start to ask questions about the divinity and the authority, the God nature of Jesus Christ, you've now, you're somewhere else and fellowship is now, is now broken. I also want to say that uh, the Scriptures make it clear. Jesus himself teaches this in Matthew 13 uh, in the parable of the weeds and the wheat. And he says, he tells this parable about uh, wheat that's growing and somebody comes and sows these weeds and they grow up kind of together and, 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 and they, they've, they're encouraged to not, not pull out the weeds or not, not pull out the weeds because you might uproot the wheat uh, and, and just like leave it at the end. At the end, Jesus will sort it out. And I think even in, in, in every single church, There are true born-again believers and those who aren't born-again believers who may think they are, but they're not, but they're part of the church. And I think the encouragement for this is what Jesus says. It's like one day he's going to, Jesus will sort it out. We don't have to worry about it. I don't have to overly stress. I mean, we want to be clear, especially as leaders in a church, you want to try to help people be abundantly clear that they are born again and they do believe Jesus is the Christ, that they are in genuine fellowship with him. You want to help people get really clear on the assurance of their salvation, but we also don't want to be looking under every rock and, you know, making people think that they're either wheat or weeds when we're not necessarily sure. Um, You know, I was walking around the garden the other day, and I'm not much of a gardener. Claire's a really good gardener. I'm more of a a laborer in the garden. Uh, She makes all the executive decisions, and I was pointing out a flower that I thought was amazing, and Claire put me in my place very quickly and told me that was actually a weed. Uh, I thought it was a very pretty looking weed, but it, it had a short shelf life and it was gone because it's a weed and it was actually going to kill the true flowers. And so I did my labor uh, duty and Julie got rid of the weed. And we don't have a culture in a church where we're, we're hunting for the weeds. We realize as Jesus says, look, they're going to grow up together and don't worry about it. In the end, I'll sort it all out. I'll make it clear. Uh, wheat, weeds, it's up to me. It's not up, it's not up to us. Somebody once said this, that you can't lose your salvation, but you can fake it. You can't lose your salvation, we believe that, but you can fake it. And my prayer for us and for everyone in our church, and if you're listening to this, is that you would not fake it. That you would not fake it, that you would do everything that you can to make sure that you are genuinely born again, you have full confidence that you belong to God, that He is in you. Um, So that's, that's these deceivers that John talks about, but... More encouragingly, he then talks to the church and he says, but you, you are the anointed ones. You are the anointed ones. In verse 20, he says this to them, but says, you you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Who's this Holy One? The Holy One is Jesus. We see again and again in Scripture, uh, Jesus referred to as the Holy One of God. And here's the amazing thing. Uh, Jesus, the Holy One, has anointed us. With the Holy Spirit. that's that's what this anointing is. It's the giving of the Holy Spirit. When Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, uh, he says this, I'm just diving in. And I'll give you the verse from verse 38. He says how God he's speaking about uh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. It's the same word, that's what's happened. To us, Jesus, the Holy One, the Messiah, has anointed us with the Holy Spirit and with power. And uh, that's an amazing thing. This is one of the ways that you know that you're a Christian. You have been anointed. You have the Holy Spirit. It's not first grade, second grade Christians. You're a Christian because the Holy Spirit dwells within you because the Holy One has anointed you with the Holy Spirit. Now, now, what does the Holy Spirit do? When, when Jesus anoints us, when he gives us the Holy Spirit, what does it do? Really important what John is talking about. Here. Have a look in verse 20 and 21. The first thing is that the Holy Spirit helps us to know the truth. Helps us to know the truth. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Helps you to know God. To know God. Not to know about God. Lots of people know stuff about God. The Holy Spirit comes into the life of a believer and you know God. There's a relationship that gets established. Eyes are opened and you become spiritually alive and attuned to the presence of God and the reality of God. And the indwelling nature of the Holy Spirit that God has given you. You know him. You know the truth, not about the truth. And truth is, firstly, a person. It's not a, a whole bunch of ideas and things. It is those as well. It's truths. But the Scriptures make it clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a person. So the Holy Spirit introduces us to the person of Jesus Christ, the person of God. That's how we know we're Christians. We have a relationship that has started with God. In John's Gospel, in John chapter 16, verse 13 Uh, It says this, when the Spirit of Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit coming, He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. The Holy Spirit's not going to speak, he's not going to make stuff up. He's only going to speak what he hears. He hears from the Father, he hears from the Son, and he's going to remind us of those same things. We're going to touch on that in a second. But that bit about he will guide you into all the truth. Something to rejoice in this morning is that you have been guided into the truth. You didn't find it. You didn't research it. You didn't stumble into it. The Holy Spirit, this is according to the Scriptures, guided you into truth, took you by the hand and led you into a personal relationship with God. And it's worth just pausing and saying, thank you. This is, thank you, God. This is all of grace. You've taken me by the hand and you've led me into a relationship with you. I now know you because of this work that the Holy Spirit has done in my life. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is, uh, John says, is teach us about all things. Have a look in verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Holy Spirit teaches us about all things. Again, back to John's gospel, John 14, uh, verse 26, Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. He says, but the counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, is to teach us all things and to remind us of everything Jesus has said. I just want to camp out a little bit because this is massively, massively important. Uh, The role of the Holy Spirit is to impress upon us the truth of what Jesus has said and the apostolic teaching of the scriptures. So to remind us of of what Jesus has said, what he's commanded, how he's lived, what he's taught, and to open up our eyes to what we have in the Scriptures, apostolic teaching and authority. It's not to add to it. And you should be suitably nervous when somebody jumps up and says, Holy Spirit's spoken to me, and they give you some long, you know, kind of message, and then you just think like, "Ah, and no reference to the Bible, and they're claiming that this is like some new thing the Holy Spirit's brought, And uh, it goes above the Bible, or it just reconfigures something that the Bible said. You need to run a million miles when you hear people talking like that. The Holy Spirit's given them some secret, like uh, revelation or whatever else. It's like no, no, no. That's the Bible says. What John says is the Holy Spirit's job is to remind you of what's already been said, to take us back to these things that God has already said and remind us again and again, because we're forgetful and we need lots of reminding, of of what the truth is, and we're shaped by this. We don't need this new, quirky, cool, sexy revelation. Ah, the Holy Spirit's spoken to me. That's cool. Did the Holy Spirit speak to you, and can we test it by this book? If not, cheers. The Holy Spirit didn't speak to you. I don't know what. Something else was speaking to you, but not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's job, according to the Word, is to remind us of what's already been said and take us deeper into this. Just want to have a deeper look at that. A note on that verse twenty-seven. There it says that there's that line. It says, "And you don't need anyone to teach you." Some of you are like, "Amen, amen." I knew that was right. Well, you probably not because uh, you wouldn't be watching this if you thought that you don't need anyone to teach you. But what is John saying here? What does that mean? Like you don't need anyone to teach you? It's like this is weird. Uh, John, like you're teaching them in this letter and you've just told them that you don't need anyone to teach you. What What is he saying? Remember the context here. These guys are trying to deceive the church. They're trying to lead them away with this new revelation, this new truth about who Jesus is. And he's saying to them, look, you don't need these clowns to teach you. You don't need these clowns to teach you. They're deceivers. You don't need anyone to teach you because you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to teach you. Jesus, in John chapter 6, is quoting Isaiah 54. The fulfillment of the prophecy says they will all be taught by God. They will all be taught by God. This is, this is astounding. And there's a few things I want to say to this. Uh, I, want, I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit works in teaching us. There's three uh, ways that I think are clear to me. The first is through the Word of God. You sit down, you're a believer, you open up God's Word, you read it, and God speaks to you, and the Holy Spirit is teaching you as you're reading or as you're hearing it, whatever else, um, someone's sharing it with you, the Holy Spirit teaches us through the Word of God. That's the primary way the Holy Spirit teaches us is through the Word. The second is through teachers, Um, people who are gifted by God through the Holy Spirit to teach God's Word, to to take it and to just declare it again, Not, not to reinvent the message, not to add to it or take away from it, but just to, like I'm doing this morning, teach God's Word and hopefully make it clearer and more compelling uh, than maybe you've heard it before, try and do it creatively or whatever else, and to teach it with authority. Authority that comes from the Holy Spirit, teachers. Uh, so it's not that you don't need anyone to teach you. We have it clearly in the Scriptures that God gives His church uh, teachers, and and God's people need teachers. And the third way the Holy, and the Holy Spirit works through that, the third way the Holy Spirit teaches us is through... Um, an internal discernment and confirmation. I don't know if you've ever ever, ever heard somebody speaking. Hopefully it wasn't when I was speaking, but I'm sure it may have been every now and then. Uh, and you hear somebody say something, and you're just like, that doesn't sound 100% like, like According to what I know, the scriptures and stuff like that, it's just something in you. It's the Holy Spirit in you just saying, yeah, not so like, like I remember years ago, Claire and I were uh, living in Seattle for a year, and I used to have to walk everywhere because uh, we had to share a car. And I would walk to the bus stop. And the one time I was walking, this guy came alongside. And he started talking to me and super friendly. I don't have a very friendly face when I'm walking in public. So most people just leave me alone. But this guy was undeterred. And he came and he's striking up a conversation. He starts telling me all about some new group he's part of. And all I remember, it was about Mother God. Mother God. That's all I remember is like the stuff about Mother God. And I'm like, yo, bro. Like, and he had a Bible like a proper like a proper Bible, like I had, and he started showing me scriptures. I mean, I, I was stuck then out the bus stop with this oak. I tried to shake him off, but I didn't. And now he's been showing me scriptures. So he's using the same Bible, but and I'm just like he didn't start with the mother god thing. He started with other stuff and I thought, well, okay, kinda this sounds a little bit interesting. I haven't heard this take exactly. And then he very quickly got to this whole thing on Mother God, and I was like, No, no, bro, like you know, like I didn't see that there. I can see what you're saying about I don't think that's a valid interpretation. Something in me, the Holy Spirit in me is listening to this and thinking, this doesn't sound like, a, this doesn't sound right. This is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit teaches us is you you get trained to know His voice, and there's an internal discernment that as you hear the Word preached or taught, it's like, nah, that, that just doesn't sit like a, with me. Now, you, you need to weigh that up because sometimes you might hear something and say, ah, that doesn't sit like with me, and you go back and you realize, no, that's exactly what the Scriptures are saying. The reason it doesn't sit like with you is because you're there and the Scripture is calling you to, make a change, it's convicting you. A conviction feels different to you know, a bit of uh, discernment and not, this, the truth not sitting nicely with us. So sometimes it calls us and it can, uh, to change. And it feels difficult because we're the ones needing to adjust. It's not because the truth is wrong. So that's some of the ways in which the Holy Spirit teaches them. And this is the astounding truth. He says to them, you don't actually need anyone to teach you because you have the Holy Spirit. But God has given His Word, He's given teachers, and He's given this internal confirmation working of the Holy Spirit so that you can know the truth. Not know about the truth, not just know a whole bunch of stuff, but experience the reality of God and be, here's the thing, be transformed by the truth that the Holy Spirit shows us. That's the whole point of of teaching, of truth, is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus, the truth would change us. It wouldn't just accumulate in our heads and just you know, puff up our brains. We would be transformed by the truth. You would encounter a truth, the Holy Spirit would make it clear, and we'd realize, okay, I do not live like that, I don't look like that, I need to change. And the Holy Spirit would then, indwelling us, give us the power to change, to conform to that, move from where we are that's at, at odds with this truth, and change our lives, our thinking, our behavior, whatever it is, to conform to the truth. That's the work that the Holy Spirit does. And it's an absolute gift that Jesus has anointed us with the Holy Spirit, to be able to be taught like this, to be able to have the power to change and to live for God in these ways. So that's what John reminds me. He says, you are the anointed ones. You are anointed ones. You are filled. You are led. You are taught by the Holy Spirit. And in the face of these deceivers who are trying to to get you to leave the church and go and join them, what should you do? His last word to them is just remain. You see, basically just says, stay where you are. Stay where you are. Stay with what you know. Have a look in verse 24. What you've heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He Himself made to us, eternal life. If you want to enjoy eternal life, the life is in the Son. That's what John says as well. You remain in the message that you've heard. And if you remain in the message, you remain in the truth that you've heard, the Father and the Son remain in you. You don't need to go off with these deceivers, off with this new nonsense. You stay with God. You stay here. And you you remain, abide. If you put John, First John together with John's gospel, there's so many um, ideas that cross over and are, are repeated. This this idea of remaining, of abiding, of dwelling, uh, I want to encourage you uh, in this to remain, remain, remain in God, abide in Him, and the way you do this is to remain in the truth. So, uh, if you're not in this book, uh, that's what it means. Because yeah, you can say, yeah, truth is a person." I mean, I'm in mean Jesus, but the, the way you know Jesus is through this book. This book is God's word; it's His voice; it's the picture of Jesus. We see it and. The Holy Spirit uses it to shape our picture of Jesus. If you ever ask anyone, tell me about Jesus, and then you hear them talking about Jesus. Like, where did you get that idea from? You know, like unless it's from here, from this book, you've got some other thing, that came from a movie or I don't know, bad upbringing or something like that. I don't know, just the only imagination. This is what God wants us to know about who Jesus is, and therefore the Father as well. So we remain. In the truth, we allow this truth to remain in us, and we remain in relationship. That's what it's about. That's what abiding is, and what it looks like. And uh, I feel, I feel, encouraged to provoke you and remind you that, you know, we might not be together as a church, uh, you know, in gatherings and stuff. Like, like we may want to be. Uh, we're frustrated, maybe, with the, the all of our rhythms have changed and. We can't meet on Sundays. It's difficult to meet midweek, all that kind of stuff, and I'm not sure what the future is going to hold and how long this is going to last. But it doesn't mean that we can't abide in Him. We can't abide together easily with each other. We can't rejoice in the fellowship that we got one another with one another in person. But you can abide with God, and and I want to just I want to encourage you again and again and again. This is how the Holy Spirit teaches us: is that you get alone with God and you abide and you remain there. There's no remaining uh, in God without abiding together with Him and in His Word. And we've got uh, so much to learn that the Holy Spirit needs to teach us, but I want to encourage you again, maybe even today, that's your highest priority, is to get alone with God, to get alone with God, to get alone with His Word, and say, before God with an open Bible, Holy Spirit, would you teach me? Would you teach me what I need to know so that I would love you more I would see you more clearly. I would have greater confidence as a Christian. I'd be more useful, I'd be more fruitful, I would be more faithful, I'd be more effective. But I would love you more because you reveal yourself to me out of your word. As the Holy Spirit is dying to teach you uh, out of this out of this book, out of this living word so that you will be changed and that your joy would go through the roof. I wanna, I wanna remind you guys that this is where your deepest joy lies is in abiding in God, remaining in Him. There will be lots of other weird teachings that will come across our paths. You just need to spend a bit of time on Google, ask it a few questions about spirituality and realize how many people have just got so much jacked up stuff about who Jesus is and God and the Father. And more and more, it's going to happen. That's what the scriptures encourage us in. It's like we're in the last hour. Everything from the coming of Jesus until he comes again, it's the last hour, it's the last days, it's this epoch of time. But the scriptures make it clear that as we get nearer and nearer the end, there can be more and more people who pop up, who who tell people what their itching ears want to hear, Teach nonsense about who Jesus is and teach nonsense about the church and teach nonsense about what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And you've got to hold on to what you've heard. And it's in this book. It's the truth about Jesus in this book that the Holy Spirit brings to life into us to allow us to remain in him. We have full confidence. Yes, we are with God. We're staying there. No one's deceiving us. No one's drawing us away. We're steadfast and stable in him. And there's lots of joy in that, abiding like that, just like soaking our hearts deeper in his presence and in joy with God. So um, let me pray for us before we uh, transition to uh, a lyric video together. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. All All of our hope, all of our confidence is in this truth that you, Holy Spirit, live inside of us will continue to teach us, will continue to open up our eyes, will show us what we need to see, will convict us, will lead us, will guide us, will encourage us. And then when we see where we're different and where we need to change, you'll empower us so that we're able to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Pray that you would remind us afresh that that's what you are doing, and that's our greatest good is to be changed into the likeness of the person of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, you do that through your Word. We pray that you would keep us as a church faithful to the truth, faithful to your Word. That we would remain in what we've heard, and we would be found deeply abiding in you and enjoying the the indwelling presence of God in us, because you have. Sort us out, and you've won us to yourself. We love you for that, and we pray you take us deeper and deeper through your word and the work of the Spirit for our good and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name.